0: Good to have you here. Those of you that are older than high school and graduated, you'll remember 9-11. Those of you from high school and under, 17 years ago, it's hard to believe. So I brought my twin towers tie today to remember. They call it Patriot's Day now. But uh, if you have time on Tuesday, just reflect and think about the fact of thousands of people, innocent people, losing their lives. And pray for their families. We're looking at uh, Philippians Again, this morning, Philippians chapter one. I heard our quizers did a good job. We're going to hear more about that. They're real excited. At least their coaches. All right, we'll hear about that maybe later. That'd be good. Philippians chapter one, verse three. Let's stand together. Our third sermon in the book of Philippians. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine, making prayer for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now being confident of this very thing that he who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ just as it is right for me to think this of you all because I have you in my heart. Inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace, for God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. Ask, the Lord, now that you would just take charge of this point in the service and help us, Lord, to look to your word. And grow from it as a body of Christ today. Thank you for inspiring Paul to write these words. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. After the formal greeting in his letter, it was next proper, in correct letter writing form, to do a thanksgiving. And that's what Paul is doing. And tells the recipients something good about them. If you're going to, uh, you know, help people, it's good to always start with saying something positive. And then you tell them what you're going to do to help them. And then if, if you can, come back at the end and say something positive about them. Didn't they teach you all that back in school? Anyway, uh, the Thanksgiving paragraph here to the Philippians uh, that Paul wrote is one long Greek sentence. So, what we just read, three through eight, was one sentence. That's why I tried to, when I was reading, not stop and pause like we usually do on the verses. Because why? Because the verses weren't there. The numbers were not there. The chapters were not there. Those were added many years after the Bible was written. So, they're not there. It was all one sentence. It was all the thanksgiving sentence. One of the key things that Paul was thankful for was their fellowship in verse 5. I always thank my God and so on for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. Some have partnership, um, and I would toss back and forth between the words and chose fellowship. Because when I looked it up in my Greek, fellowship was the word that they used to come up with. This, this word um, is koinonia, and you may have heard that if you've been around the church. It's the root word for common. Uh, that's the root word behind koinonia, it means common. And so out of that comes this idea of communion, close relationship, uh, fellowship. It was the main words that were coming out. There is the idea of partnership as well. Uh, there are difficult uh, thought lines in classical Greek as, as to how they use this word, Plato, Socrates, and others. In some ways, it became an idealism for society, that society ought to put everything all in common, and we'd have the brotherhood of everybody working together. And from this, Plato came up with the idea of communistic utopia, And here you thought this was a new idea, that if everybody would just do their part, everybody work, we all pool our resources, no big people, no small people, everybody just equal people, and uh, we will all get along real well, and everybody work for the common good, and everybody can take for the common good. Communism. Only thing is communism has never worked. And the reason it doesn't work is because once people find out that they can take without working and giving, they stop working. And the other problem with it, why it's never worked, is because of the hierarchy. They don't want to release their power to the common people. They want to still be in control. So while everybody's working and taking care of them, as they sit in their places of authority, uh, real communism has never worked. Yeah, principle comes right from Koinonia, but it never takes place. Um, And so, obvious reasons, it has never worked, communism. For Paul, Koinonia always had a spiritual focus, and that's where it works. Why doesn't it work in society? Because there's no spiritual parameters. Because if everybody's going to work and put everything in common, there has to be God over everybody. You have to be striving toward the common goal, and that is pleasing the Lord Jesus Christ. And since they didn't have that, it never would work. But the spiritual focus meant that the fellowship and participation of the believer with Christ. Everyone had Christ in common. And then, because we all have Christ in common, guess what? We have a common element amongst us, and that is our relationship to Christ. And since we all want to please Christ, then we're going to get along pleasing and working together each other. The fellowship of believers. Translating this word to one modern English word is hard, but the idea of koinonia is that a group of Christians work together for God on common goals and enjoy the blessings of God and the fellowship of other Christians in the process. So this Thanksgiving portion of Paul's letter emphasized the fellowship, the koinonia, that Paul had with the Philippian Christians. That fellowship was made possible because they shared many things in common. And I want to emphasize some of those out of this Thanksgiving part. Paul mentioned some of these shared things here in this letter. The first one was that they, well, I don't have to say first, but the first one the way I've ordered them. The first one I want to point out is they had a shared history, a shared memories, shared time together. Um, he says in verse three, "I thank my God upon every remembrance of you." See, Paul is grateful for the memories he had with these Christians, the history that he had with these Christians at Philippi. Verse five, I thank God for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. From the first day when he arrived and began to work through and establish a church there until now, they had been this history that they shared together, and it's about 10 years of history. Um, A lot happened when Paul first arrived in Philippi, including a demon-possessed girl, uh, which ended up when he cast the demon out, he put him in prison and then had an earthquake to get him out of prison. This was a, a combination of things, so Paul was not going to forget how, what happened when he first arrived there because it was an unusual beginning for a church. And Paul had returned to this group of the people at least twice on his missionary journeys. They had spent a lot of time together. He knew them well. And ten years had passed. Uh, Since the church was started in Philippi. And they had experienced a lot of spiritual growth over those years. Paul had been uh, part of their teacher in in some of those years. And others as well that had come their way. And they had experienced a lot. And he had been part of their walk with Christ. And they had been faithful to keep track of Paul's ministry. His travels. They just kept in contact. Um, And Paul... Why is this important? You have to remember that when Paul was very strong in Judaism and he would go around persecuting the church, the Christians, he had a whole network of friends and and Pharisees and all that that he was involved in. But when he became a Christian, got knocked off his horse, and stopped persecuting the Christians and became a Christian, guess what happened? He lost all those friends. You have to imagine that he lost all those friends. So when he's starting these churches and beginning to build new friendships wherever he goes, these were very important, a Christian friendship. Paul developed, every one of them would have been important to him. Shared history, shared memories. In 2020, believe it or not, we will be celebrating the 100th year of the organization of the Church of the Nazarene in Brazil, Indiana. Hard to believe. This church actually started in uh, 1918, but it wasn't organized until 1920. I think back of the history, and some of you have told me, because some of you have been there since the beginning, 1918. And you shared about the, the tent meeting and all that, you know. <laughs> Sheila was there. Anyway, there's a history that has been shared for many of you for many years. Some of you grew up here. Some of you are second or third generation. I don't know how long it's been. And uh, so there is, their history that we have as Brazil, Church of the Nazarene. Some of you remember being over on Church Street when the church was there. And some of you remember coming over to here. Anyway, one of the things I want to point out is that we have 100 years of history now. How important is that? I, I go talk to Booty, and she'll bring up some old uh, pastor. Yeah, of course, I never knew. You didn't know him, did you? No. <laughs> That was a long time ago. They're probably dead, but she lives more in the past now than she does in the present. So uh, that, those are things that are important to her. Well, he married me, and he didn't, you know, whatever. You know, but those were important memories, history. So if you would like to uh, work on a 100th anniversary history and celebration, please let me know, because we need to get started on that pretty soon. So those of you that have been here for 100 years... And those of you that have been here 90 and 80 and 70 and 60, whatever it is, um, and we've got to get together, get some photographs, get some stuff together, and, and start planning because it's not going to be too long. It's going to be here, right? And I'd like to do something. Of course, if I get no response and nobody cares, then maybe we won't do anything. But I'd like to do a 100th anniversary celebration. And by the way, I think we're talking about anniversaries. Today is my fourth anniversary as your pastor. Started, uh, I didn't know which Sunday to choose. I actually preached the first Sunday of September, but it was the 7th. And this is the 9th, so it's closer to it. But uh, I was installed on the 14th as pastor. And that's hard to believe, four years. We have four years of shared history here, of stuff that has happened, of stuff that we've done together of Christmases and Easter's and Lent's and all, all the different things that have gone on. And, and it is um, moving on. We've seen some saints go to heaven. We've had new people come. And th- these are very important things. The, the longer you're here, the more you have a shared history with those who are here. And so these are good things that we are doing. I now have some skin invested in the game Blood, sweat, and tears. I was here last night backing up water in one of the rooms over there. That is part of the shared history that I have and part of the history that you have of things that are going on here at this church. Memories are shared every time we get together. Every Sunday school class, every uh, Bible study, every prayer group, something that happens and we remember, something was shared, something that occurred, every worship service, And all of you have a special place in our hearts because we have shared time together. The point is, it's important for us who have been here a little longer, when we see somebody new, to get to know them because they are becoming part of our shared history, right? as a body of Christ, and they are the future, some of the cases. When we are gone, they will continue on. So we need to get involved in sharing together, make people feel connected, make people feel apart. It's not just what happened back then, it's what is happening today. Because what is happening today becomes shared history tomorrow. Amen? Paul had 10 years of shared history with these people, and some of you have more than that. But we need to continue to invest and connect and make people feel a part so that we can have a shared history moving forward into the future. Shared memories. Uh, so Paul and the Philippians, Christians, had a shared history. The second thing I want to point out is they shared prayers. Very important. Prayers for each other. Verse 4, Paul prayed for the Philippian Christians. He said, Always in every prayer of mine, making requests for you all with joy. And the word request is prayer. Every time I pray, I pray for you all with joy. Paul used the word here that it means intercession or petition to God. He interceded for all of them by name every time God brought this church to his mind. He would remember Lydia, the purple merchant. He would remember the, the, the girl that was delivered from demon possession. And he would remember the jailer that, that had, uh, the earthquake had happened. He was about to kill himself with a sword. And he would pray for these people by name. He got to meet the whole family there of that jailer. And they all came to Christ that day. And there were others that have joined since then as the church began to grow and develop. And he would pray for them. Likewise, these Philippian Christians prayed for Paul. They were concerned about Paul being in prison and possibly being killed for his beliefs. In verse 19, later in this chapter, Paul wrote that he knew he was going to be delivered through your prayer and through the Holy Spirit. I mean, he knew they were praying for them. He mentioned that. I will be delivered through your prayers. So he's praying for them that they will grow in their faith. He's really concerned about this church that he started 10 years ago. He wants it to continue to grow. But they are praying for him as he travels around, be with Paul as he preaches, and and help in his ministry, and help him as he reaches and starts a new work out here. And, And then now that he's in prison, Lord, keep him strong, keep him faithful. So they were praying for each other. In this world we are living in today, do you think Christians need to pray for each other? Anybody not think we need to pray for each other? Don't put your hand up. (laughs) Now, if each of us prayed, think of this, if each of us prayed for five other people in the church every day, and then the next day pray for five more, and the next day pray for five more, by the end of the month we'd all been prayed for a number of times, right? How important is that? We just assume that, that Christians, oh, they're good Christians. They'll make it. They're strong in Jesus. What if the devil is fighting them today? And what if nobody is praying for them today? I, uh, I think that that would be great if we could you just take it upon yourself. That, when I first arrived here as pastor, I used the old church directory. It was made in 2013 to, to, to pray for the people who attended this church. And I got to know what they looked like from the pictures. Some of you don't look that way anymore, and a lot of people have left. That directory is way out of date, and uh, I would pray going through a page, a column, different ones, pray for the people, got to know who they were, pray for them, and I'm looking forward to the new directories getting finished so I can have an up-date, up-to-date way to pray for everybody, right? And again, see your pictures and so I can remember who you are because I'm getting senile in my old age. and. Uh, And there's too many Toms and too many Steves and too many Rays and Debbies and other stuff now. It's just getting confusing. So anyway, um, I can remember who you are a little better if you all get your picture in a directory and uh, keep the information. And and Debbie's been sitting out there. She's in the final stages of it. She's double-checking because everybody keeps changing their cell phones and their addresses. Oh, Why don't you all just stay put And keep the same phone. Anyway, so we're double-checking all that, and then uh, we're going to get those out. So it would be something you can use to pray for people in the church. Very good, very important. There's so many methods in which to learn to pray for each other. Um, The thumb, pray for those closest to you. The pointer finger, pray for the teachers and preachers and people that shake their fingers like parents. Uh, (laughs) Middle finger is the tallest, that's the leaders in the country and... uh, the mayors and the presidents and whatever, and the weak finger, right? Pray for those that are weakest. And of course, the little finger is you. So get around to everybody else. and then There's so many things, there's so many methods, so many ways that you can learn to pray uh, and pray for a lot of different things. So um, one thing that I've learned about church work is that you will not be best friends with everyone in the church, just, just letting you know. There's going to be somebody whose personality type doesn't jive with yours. Some people are going to have different opinions than yours, and since yours is always right, you you just you know you're going to have differences. But let me share with you a secret. If you keep praying for those people that aren't quite like you. And don't always agree with you. If you will pray for them on a regular basis, you're going to get along with them better. Why is that? Because it's hard for you to have a, uh, an upset attitude towards somebody you just asked Christ to bless 10 minutes ago. Right? So if somebody gets under your nerves a lot, you just keep praying, Lord, bless them real good. And, and uh, encourage them and, and, and help them. And it will help you in your relationship with that person. We're not here to get along like buddy buddies with everybody, but we're here to work together as a body of Christ. And so praying is one of the ways that we can do that. Because it's hard to stay angry at someone that you've prayed for. Praying for each other is very important. Paul and the Philippian Christians shared prayers for each other. Number three, they shared in suffering. They shared in suffering. I'm going to look at that. But I want to start with this illustration because I remember this. In 1988, in the Winter Olympics, speed skater Dan Jensen from Canada, he was already setting world records in speed skating. He was from Canada, and he went to that Winter Olympics, and I forget where it was at, but it wasn't here. Um, He received word right before skating that his sister had died of leukemia. So he went out and skated anyway. He's gonna win it for her, and he slipped and fell. Remember that? He had four days until the second skate. First one was the five hundred meters, the second one was the thousand meter. And he flew back, attended her funeral, and then came back for that second skate and fell again. Ended up with nothing. No medals. He had set world records, but he couldn't do it at the Olympics. I think he came back some other times and failed again. It was interesting that people heard his story. Of course, it happened on national TV. He He was considered a favorite to win. They heard his story. Got a lot of fan mail, a lot of letters of encouragement, and one of the levers of support came from a man named Mark Arrowhood, Mar- Arrowwood. He was a disabled man who had competed in the Special Olympics right after his dad had died and won a gold medal. And so that gold medal in track and field, so he wrote a letter to Dan Jensen and sent him his gold medal and said, I want you to have this because I know what you went through. And so the only gold medal Dan Jensen had for a number of years was from the Olympics was this one sent to him by a man he never met, a man who died two two years later in 1990, but wanted Dan to know that he had suffered like he had suffered and wanted him to feel the celebration of what it meant to win by having a gold medal in his hand. Well, Dan Jensen did go back, and I think he fell again, I'm not sure, but Eventually, he got into 1994, six years after his sister died, when he won the gold medal in the 1,000. And that ended his Olympic career, but he did finally get one. But the point is, fellowship is suffering. Sharing in someone else's suffering. And as we mentioned, Paul was under house arrest in Rome, awaiting trial when he wrote this letter. In verse 7, Paul mentioned being in chains. It is understood that Paul was chained to two prison guards all the time. Shackled to them. That was not uh, the most wonderful way to live your life, and it occurred for a couple of years. But the chains hindered a lot of ways, the things that he could do. He couldn't be a missionary. He couldn't go from place to place, but he could write letters to encourage the churches that he had started or pastored, and so he would do that, and, and the chains didn't keep him from witnessing to those who were guarding him. <laughs> he had a captive audience. The Philippian Christians were being persecuted themselves for their Christian faith. Paul wrote to him later in this chapter in verse 29, For to you it has been granted on behalf of Christ not only to believe in him but also to suffer for his sake. Paul knew these Christians were being persecuted and these Philippian Christians knew that Paul was being persecuted. Persecuted. He was suffering in his chains. And so they shared in suffering. Verse 7, Paul wrote that the suffering was, it wasn't all about him. He said it was about the sharing or the defense and the confirmation of the gospel. Inasmuch as both of my chains and in the defense and the confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me in grace. Um, so, he didn't consider himself the one on trial. He thought that the gospel was on trial. The suffering was because of the gospel. So sometimes, he said defend, sometimes he had to defend the gospel, the truth, against wrong teachings that others would, would uh, speak or, or write about. False doctrines can destroy, weaken, or water down the message of the cross, and we have to defend against these things. There's a lot of false stuff going out there today. But the confirmation part is sometimes Paul had to confirm the truth as being right teaching. When someone teaches the truth, we need to amen the truth. We need to apply it through the way that we live our lives. If it's truth, it's not enough just to say, well, that's good. No, we need to put it into practice. If you like what the teacher is in the Bible study, Sunday school room, or in preaching is is saying, if if I'm talking about praying and you say, I'd like to do that, I'll pray for five people a day or whatever the Lord lays on your heart. That's just something that popped into my mind. I don't care. Whatever it is, put it into practice. Grow. It's the truth. Then confirm it and find a way to make it happen in your life, to pray for each other. One method doesn't work, find another method you are talking about suffering. Christians down through the ages. In every generation, there's been Christians who have suffered because of their relationship with Jesus Christ, because of their defense of the gospel, because of their confirmation of the gospel. There's people that have stood up and said, I will not accept. I will not bow to the emperor. I will not believe that way. I will not do these things. And because of it, they suffered. Some of them suffered in prison for years. Some of them were beaten. Some have been tortured. Some have been burned at the stake. Some have been fed to the lions, and some have their heads chopped off. From the 12 apostles, the original disciples of Jesus, if you will study by tradition, they all died, most of them horrific deaths. From those 12 all the way till not too long ago, a couple years ago, when they stood there on television and showed them with their knives to the throat of Christians. People have been suffering and being persecuted and killed for the cause of Jesus Christ. A lot of Syrian Christians and others are fleeing for their lives. Refugees with whatever they can carry in a sack or a backpack. Persecuted even today for their faith in Jesus. And so Christians, down through the years, have taken comfort in the fact that they are part of a great group of people who have suffered for the cause of Christ. Many Christians have died for their faith, the belief that Jesus has always been more important to them than even life itself. I will die believing in the cross. I will not give up Jesus. Now, I want you to think about this because it's not here yet, but it's coming at a rapid pace. If you think our country is going to tolerate Christian teachings much longer, then you'd better think again. Because we are now raising the second generation of people who have no regard for Christ and no regard for Christian values. And they're going to our colleges, which is teaching them other values across America. And the more and more of them that are going to be the second and third generation, pretty soon they are going to be more of them. Then there are elders, elders being those older than the baby boomers, and the baby boomers are moving up, (laughs) and those are the ones who still believe in the old values, and they're not very tolerant in these younger ages. If you don't believe like them, they have no problem getting in your face, causing riots, killing. You need to know today where you stand, what you are willing to live for, what you are willing to die for when it comes to your faith and values. I'm not trying to scare you. I'm just telling you, you better get it down. You better get it in your heart. You better get it rooted. I will not cross over this line. Because when that day comes, when they come to arrest you, because you attend the Church of the Nazarene in Brazil. Don't worry, I'll be one of the first ones that arrested, because I'm a preacher. When they come to get you, the lay people, will there be enough evidence to convict you of being a Christian? (laughs) Nah, he's not a Christian. I heard him cuss the other day. Nah, she's not a Christian. She does this, that, the other thing. Kind of, but do you know your faith? Do you know what you believe in? Do you know where you're going to stand? Do you know when you're going to... Because unless there's a real revival of Christianity in America, America's going to become and continue to be a non-Christian nation. In fact, they call this the post-Christian era. So we need to decide now that to suffer or even die for Christ is a Privilege. That's the way the saints always felt that way about it. Saints, you remember that from last week? The holy ones? That's the way they felt about it. They felt like it was a privilege to die or suffer for Jesus. Why? Because Jesus suffered for their salvation. Why is it a privilege to suffer for Jesus? He suffered for us. Second reason why it's a privilege to suffer for Jesus is because suffering is an opportunity for the Christian to testify without doubt, without anybody doubting as to their relationship with Jesus Christ and their loyalty to him and to Christianity. And so as they get executed or thrown in prison or put on trial, they just stand there and say, I believe in Jesus Christ and I'm willing to die for my faith. Amen. Whatever it took. Paul stood trial a number of times. That's you know, kind of testament. He took the opportunity to preach to them. One king said, almost you persuade me to be a Christian. <laughs> it's a privilege to suffer for Christ. He suffered for us. So Paul and the Philippians shared in suffering. And they also shared in joy. Number four, one of the main characteristics of this letter is joy. The word thank, rejoice, glad, joy in its various forms occurs 20 times in this short epistle. Here in verse four, Paul wrote that he prayed for them with joy. And if we're going to talk about suffering, then we need to talk about joy. Because Paul didn't take his situation in life, he didn't like it all the time. Not everything in his life was good. He didn't like the beatings, the stonings, the shipwrecks or the prisons, all the things that he wrote about, how many things that had happened to him, but the joy inside Paul remained constant. So he could sing praises in jail. He could witness to guards. He could face the mobs. The joy of the Lord was his strength. He had joy in the middle of his suffering. Amen. Amen. Now Christian joy is not dependent upon how you feel. Christian joy doesn't mean you have to go around smiling all the time. Because if you smile all the time, people will wonder what you're up to. Christian joy is something more than a positive mood or a happy face. Christian joy is that you may not like your situation, but you always love the security of being in a real relationship with Jesus Christ. Down deep within you, you know Jesus lives there. It is well with my soul. Regardless, though Satan should buffet, or as the author of that song, though my wife and kids were drowned, he could still write the song, It Is Well With My Soul. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit. Joy stays with the Christian who is spirit filled, regardless of what is going on around them. Joy says, Look what God is doing. When another church is growing and yours isn't, (laughs) when another Christian is being blessed by God and you're not at that point in time, you're saying, look what God's doing. Thank God he's blessing him or her. Thank God they're doing good things. Thank God the work of God is going forward. Amen. That's joy. It's rejoicing with those that rejoice, weeping with those that weep. That's Christianity. And when someone else gets healed, thank the Lord. When God answers your prayer, thank the Lord. Christianity is not a competition. Christianity is an inner joy because God is moving and working and he's alive and well. So, if we're going to face some suffering because we're Christians, then we might as well take on a boatload of joy to keep us steady in the storms of life because there will be storms in your life. Have some joy. Amen. Paul is writing this from prison. Joy is the theme. <laughs> That in partnership in the gospel of this letter. And then, of course, another theme of Paul's is grace. Number five is they shared in grace. Because of verse 7, he says, Being confident of this very thing, that he who begun a good work, whoop, that's six, Just as it is right for me to think uh, this of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me, of grace they shared in grace partakers of me is another form of the word koinonia they were going to get along as a body believers then there would need to be a common sharing of grace to each other hmm grace is another ingredient it's another fruit This is how we get along as Christians. The grace God gives never fails. It never runs out. He gives grace, and he gives grace, and then he gives grace, and then he gives more grace. Isn't that how we are to treat other Christians? Give grace, and then give grace, and then give more grace, and then give some more on top of that, right? Uh, Not so many amens on that, but it is true. Grace is the oil that kind of flows on over and through and in the machinery to keep things running smoothly. If somebody doesn't have grace, you might as well just throw some dirt in there, some sand, and just grind everything all up and make the thing stop. I have no doubt that Paul rubbed some people the wrong way. That's the kind of person he was. He just said the he felt, and, and sometimes he said it and probably didn't smile when he said it. He preached long sermons, like I do. I pattern after Paul. He preached until they fell asleep. One guy fell out a window. I'm glad we don't have windows here. Some of you fall asleep, but you don't fall. So anyway, Paul, people, he rubs some of them the wrong way. I have no doubt that Christians get on each other's nerves. Amen? Got doubt somebody gets on your nerves? All right. Yet, God puts a group of people together in one church and tells us to get along with each other. And the key to that happening is what? Grace. Grace. Get on my nerves, but I'll give you some grace. I don't know, respect your opinion. I don't believe in it, but I'll give you more grace. That's the way you see it. I, you know. And so we just keep doing grace and grace. That's how we function. That's how the body of Christ can get along. He says, we're partakers together of grace. What is grace? Grace is what God did for us when Jesus died on the cross to forgive our sins. Grace is forgiving those who've wronged us and then choosing to forget the wrong and not bring it up again. Grace is not about what we or that other person deserves. Grace is the gift that God gives us and we give to others because God loves us. Recently, I came across four words. You can write these down. I've really been thinking about them a lot. I've got them written down in my office. First word is forgive. Second word is forget. The third word is for God. That's actually two words. That's why I said it's four words. Forgive, forget for God. Forgive, forget for God. Why do we forgive? Not because they deserve it, but we do it for God. Why do we forget? Not because they deserve it, but for God. That's grace, folks. Those words have stuck in my mind. Those words represent grace. Nobody said grace was easy. Most of the time, grace is very costly. Grace cost Jesus what? His life. Forget, forgive, for God. He did it for God. Not because we deserved it. Grace is an essential ingredient for a group of Christians to get along. We may not like every person, but we can learn to love every person because of God's grace. So Paul and the Philippians shared in grace, but there's one more thing they shared. They shared in the spread of the gospel. Spread of the gospel. I got thinking about that. You know, there's some phrases we say a lot in Christianity. And I grew up with that. Oh, Lord, let's spread the gospel. You people need to spread the gospel. What does spread the gospel mean? And I thought about it. If I'm going to make myself a peanut butter jelly sandwich or just an open face, I get the knife out, dip it in the peanut butter, and I put the big old hunk on there, and then what do I do? And then I get in there and get some more. Because I want it spread to all the corners of the bread. I'm not some people they put a glob in the middle and that's that's it, right? That ain't spreading. That means you eat nothing but heal some of the, you know. All you get is crust. I mean, you know, so you gotta spread that thing. Till it covers, you know, that's a homely illustration, maybe, but it lets me know what it means to spread the gospel. Where are we supposed to spread the gospel? Everywhere to the, all the corners of the bread. But there's one practical problem with spreading the gospel. What's that? New people keep getting born. Every second, there's more people coming, coming into this world. And guess what? Well, we've already covered that area. Now, somebody took a bite out of it. That piece of bread is gone. There's a whole new piece we need to keep spreading the gospel on because there's, a, there's more to this loaf. There's more that needs to be covered with the gospel of Jesus Christ. <laughs> so we need to respread over the same communities that were already one to Christ 20, 30 years ago. They still need Jesus today. Paul wrote in verse 5 that these Philippians partnered with him to spread the gospel. He said that we have koinonia, for your koinonia fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I thank God for our partnership, our our fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. In the fourth chapter, in verse 16, Paul wrote how they, the Philippians, he's saying thank you, one of the reasons for the letter, had sent support to him when he was in Thessalonica, chapter 4, verse 16. A couple of verses later in verse 18, he, he wrote about how they had sent support to him now in Rome through Epaphroditus. So he is telling them that two times since he left them, at least, they had sent care packages of support uh, to, to him in his ministry. Once at Thessalonica, now that he's there in Rome. And so he says, Epaphroditus is sick, and I'm going to send him back to you when he gets well with my return letter, this letter to to the Philippian church. And as their founding pastor and now as their missionary, this church financially supported Paul so that he could spread the gospel. That's one side of it, supporting Paul. But they were also responsible to spread the gospel Right there in Philippi. i got to talk to you about slaves um, and saints in Philippi. You know, God has us all in a community. God has us all in a neighborhood. And that's our primary responsibility. It's good to support the missionaries. But it's also important to support and get to work in our local communities. So in verse chapter 1, verse 27, he says, Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel, of Christ. So the way we live in our communities, our conduct is important because it needs to line up with the gospel because people know a little bit about Jesus. They say, that's not the way Christians respond. That's not the way grandma would have done it. She was a Christian. So we should have our conduct worthy of the gospel of Christ so that whether I come and see you, whether Paul comes and sees you or is absent because he's in jail, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. What were they supposed to do? Work for the faith of the gospel. Whether Paul's there or not. Amen. So this church not only provided financial support for Paul, but they worked and prayed and, and, and did their efforts right there in order to get the gospel message out to their local communities. The local church is more than a place of worship. That's only half of it. The local church is a place of worship. We're grateful for it. Sunday morning is the best day of the week. We love it. We come to church. We see other Christians. We fellowship. We, we lift up Jesus Christ. Amen. But the local church is also a workshop. Worship and workshop. I kind of like that. It came to me this week just from God, I guess. Never heard of it before. We are a workshop where Christians pool their ideas, their time, their resources so that we can minister the gospel to our local community and support the ministry of the gospel uh, that other organizations are doing and support the ministry of the gospel around the world through our missionary efforts. Amen. We are a workshop doing our part to get the gospel out there, to spread it. So I ask you, what ministry of the gospel are you currently involved in? Because if you don't have one, there's a gentleman over there by the name of Ian who would love to talk to you. There's a lady back there in Children's Church by the name of Cindy who would love to talk to you. Or start a senior adult ministries. Do something. Because there are so many ways that we can minister for the gospel right here in our community. We need bus drivers. We need people to ride in the bus. To calm the kids down. There is a million things that you can do. You don't have to teach the lesson. Just amen the the teacher teaching the lesson. I think Ian would, would do a whole lot better job teaching if he had three saints up there saying amen. I'm praying for you, Ian. Get this lesson across. Amen? You think so. <laughs> You've got to have a passion and a heart to minister for the cause of Jesus Christ. There are people here on the front lines reaching the kids of our community who have no other resource except this church to hear about Jesus. What are we doing to support them in their ministry? What ministry in the gospel are you currently involved in? Go volunteer for the CPC or the food pantry or find something to do. Start a prayer ministry. Christians, so often take in in worship but we don't give out through the workshop and it's unhealthy to only take in without giving out paul says it's our responsibility to spread the gospel our conduct must be according to the gospel our faith must be lived out according to the gospel. People in our community need to see Jesus, the story of Jesus through us. If we only take it in and never share out, we're unhealthy. Like Paul and the Philippians, we need to share in the spread of the gospel. So this sermon, a little different, I have to blame Paul for it, reminds us What it's like to be part of the body of Christ, to be part of the church, to be part of a community, a koinonia. We are, as a body, partners in many ways. We have almost 100 years here of history of people who cared enough to pool their resources, their blood, their sweat and tears, their prayers, to bring us to this point. The question is, who takes it from here on? Who moves it forward? If God still has you here kicking and breathing, you're still part of the body of Christ. You still have positive things to give to the koinonia. Your prayer support, your encouragement, your talents of Cooking or talents of whatever it is that God allows you to do, working with children, teens, adults, whatever it is, whatever you can contribute, that's so important because we're the body of Christ and we need everybody involved. Koinonia means we share in the fellowship with Christ. Amen. We share in the fellowship of Christ. We share in fellowship with each other. And then we share our abilities and resources so we can worship and workshop, spreading the gospel. Together we can get the good news of Jesus out to more people in our community and out to more people in the world, spreading the gospel. Now we talked about the church this morning, making memories, praying together, suffering together, sharing joys, sharing grace, getting along, working together for the sake of the gospel. What can you and I do to improve as individuals And what can you and I do to improve as the body of Christ? Reflect on that as we go to family altar time this morning. What can I do as an individual to improve in joy and grace? Strong in my faith. Sharing the gospel. What can we do? Making sure that new people get connected. What can we as the body of Christ do? To reach out. To share the gospel. As we stand and sing this song, the altar is open. Come and talk to the Lord about what can we do? What can you and I do? Thank you for this time of prayer, Lord. Thank you we can share with you our innermost burdens and concerns. Help us to learn to forgive and to forget for God. Do it for you. Not because they deserve it, but because God deserves it. Thank you for your grace. Pour out more of your joy. Make us strong in our faith. Help us, Lord, to connect with each other. For the cause of Christ and help us to work together for the spreading of the gospel. We need people, Lord, with hearts, minds, with passions. You need us, Lord, to be passionate about our relationship with you, to go deeper, to grow stronger. Lord, I just pray that you will just remind us of that today. Help us to commit ourselves to in the next step. And then, Father, we pray for those that are hurting today. We pray for those with elderly parents. We pray for those, Lord, with situations and problems, financial and otherwise, that are big and strong and they don't know what to do. We pray for those, Lord, that are making decisions. We're praying, oh God, for those that have had a recent loss. We lift them up, Lord, today. We pray for our community. For our teachers, for our our schools, Lord, we pray that those in the food program, those that are working, there's so many, it seems like, that don't catch a vision, don't understand what the cross of Christ is about, and and so many that are so self-centered. But we pray, Lord, that you'll raise up more and more in our community who will be Christ-centered, who will seek to get the gospel out and seek to make this world a better place. We pray that you will defeat Satan and his plans for our communities. Help Satan to fall. Help Satan to be confused. Help him, Lord, to be destroyed right here in our midst. We can't save the entire world but we can save a few right here in our area. And oh God, we pray that you will turn it around. We're asking in Jesus' name. So help us not just to be a place of worship, but help us to be a workshop of how we can do this, how we can make a difference, how we can help one person in our neighborhood turn around. One of our neighbors, one of our children and teens in our community, Lord, snatch them before they burn. <laughs> as, as John Wesley wrote, snatch them from the burning. Oh, God, help us. Help us to do our part. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for these people. Thank you for the years that they put in. And I pray that they will continue to be faithful all the way to the end. Be faithful, Lord. Make us strong in you. That we can each do our part. You are God. We worship you. We thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.